Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Can we give a hand clap of praise that the tomb is empty this morning? Can we do that? Amen, amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Over, uh, I think about it, about 1,200 have been here in worship today. Can we give a hand clap of praise for that? That is good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Josh and choir and musicians for leading us in worship today. And if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, uh, would you take them out and go to Luke chapter 24? Go to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have um, your Bible with you this morning, that's okay. You can follow along on the screen behind me as the scripture uh, will be up there. You can also uh, use the Bible that's found in the chair back in front of you, uh, or you can use your phone, um, download the free app called the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, and in the app, you can select on, select on live events and then click on First Baptist Church Brunswick, and my notes should be there so you can sleep while I preach. So that'll be pretty good if you want to do that. Uh, but anyways, uh, I'm really, really glad that you're here on this Easter uh, 2022. 20, uh, you know, today, uh, all across the world, in every church, in every city, in every state, um, in every country, whether legal or illegal, every preacher is preaching the same message this morning. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The tomb is empty. He is not here. He is risen. So all across this world, the message is the same. Now, I believe uh, that most of us, those of us who are here in this room or whether you're watching uh, online, I believe uh, that we all know what happened on that first Easter over 2,000 years ago. We know what happened. We know that Jesus raised from the dead. Uh, we, we know that. We know that, that he was beaten. He was crucified. He was buried. And we know that there was, for three days, there was silence. But on that third day, he rose from the dead. And we know that. We, we hear that. And we hear that story year after year after year. And we know the what. We know what happened. But do we know why? Do we know why this great event happened? Uh, Victor Frankl, who is a Holocaust survivor, said this, when you know your why, you can live any how. Michael Jr., a Christian comedian, said this, when you know your why, your what has a greater impact. And so the goal of today's message is for us to better understand why. We know the what, but do we know the why and have we made it personal. You know, there's several reasons why Jesus rose from the dead. One of the reasons that Jesus rose from the dead is to show us that he is victorious over death. 
Jesus' resurrection uh, defeated the power of death so that, so that you and I, we would be able to defeat death as well. We know that another reason why Jesus raised from the dead was to, uh, have, uh, to give atonement for our sins uh, so that we would have a right standing with the Heavenly Father. We know that's a reason why uh, Jesus raised from the dead. We know another reason why Jesus raised from the dead is to prove who he really was, that he was the Son of Man and that he was the Son of God. We know those reasons why. One of the reasons that, that I want to focus on this morning is this. Uh, Jesus rose from the dead, and, and, and again, this is what I want us to, uh, to focus on this morning. The reason Jesus rose from the dead was to prove that God is the God of the impossible. To prove that God can do whatever he wants in any and every situation. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that God is the God of the impossible. I remember growing up in West Texas in a, a town called La Mesa, way before the internet was invented by Al Gore, way before um, social media, way before iPhones. All we had was, you know, really uh, just TV and family. How pathetic, right? That's all that we had. Um, and, and I remember, um, you know, I, I loved superheroes. I was, uh, would watch superheroes on TV or you'd read the comics or whatever. And I remember my, my favorite superhero was Spider-Man. Anybody with me? Okay, nobody. Good, good. <laughs> Spider-Man was my hero. I think uh, I had uh, pajamas with Spider-Man on it. And um, I think those pajamas still fit, which is pretty good. But uh, uh, Spider-Man, one of the coolest things that he could do is he could do what? Remember that? The web would come flying out of his wrist, and he could you know, swing everywhere. And he also had what's called a spider sense. It was pretty cool. He could see what's going on, and that's a pretty cool superpower. That was pretty neat. Another one that I watched growing up was the Incredible Hulk. Anybody remember him? Uh, I liked watching the Incredible Hulk. He had some superpowers that I definitely wanted. He had muscles. Never came my way. And, uh, uh, and, and I thought it was always really cool that whenever he got angry, he turned green. I turn red, complete difference right there. Um, but you know, whenever he would get uh, angry, he would uh, turn green, he'd rip the shirt uh, off of him, he'd have all these great muscles, and he was just, wow, he could do, do what we thought was impossible. And that's what superheroes did, is they would teach us or dream about that, you know, that the impossible is, is possible. And I believe that these superheroes, these, these comics, would teach us what only can be done by God himself. It was just a shadow of what we had really hoped for. And in Luke chapter 24, we see in our text that God is the God of the impossible. Are y'all with me this morning? Luke chapter 24, God is the God of the impossible. There's a couple of reasons why I believe that this message that God is the God of the impossible is particularly important and significant to us uh, today in, in this moment. Number one, this message of God is the God of the impossible speaks directly into my current situation. Uh, for some unknown reason to me at this time, God uh, has allowed me uh, to be diagnosed with uh, the dreaded C word, the dreaded cancer word. That is not unique to me. 
Uh, many of you have had that same diagnosis before um, or may be going through that as well. But for whatever reason, God has allowed that to happen in my life here in 2022. Praise the Lord. It's treatable. Praise the Lord. It is curable. But there are some physical risks that are involved. But, but praise God that this can be treated and it can be cured. And I know that's not true for every type of cancer, but but today on Easter Sunday 2022, I stand before you to tell you this, that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I do not fear. There is no fear. You're saying, Pastor, you're not worried, you're not scared? Well, well of course. I'm human. I have those moments, of course. But because the tomb is empty, I have reason to celebrate. I have reason to celebrate. Cancer does not define who I am, and it does not define my family, nor does it have to define my ministry, nor does it have to define who you are. What defines me is the tomb is empty. That's where I find my significance. I find my significance in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today's message that God is the God of the impossible is, is very important to me. It's very important to me as life has changed for me and my family. But I say, I am not afraid. I'm not afraid. And secondly, I believe that this message that God is the God of the impossible is important to us in the life of our church because, because in this year, 2022, our church has claimed it to be the year where God takes our impossibles and they make them what? Impossibles. We are living in a day where we have stood up and we have declared to those around us that we believe that God can take our impossibles and turn them into impossibles. Amen? We have made that declaration. And we've asked and we've pleaded and we have begged for God to answer our bold prayers. This has been a year for us that we're not praying wimpy prayers. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, don't pray wimpy prayers around here. We don't want that. We, we don't want that. We want heaven and earth to be moved by our prayers. Amen? We want them to be moved because we believe and we stand on the fact that God is the God of the impossible. And in our text in Luke 24, we see the God of the impossible move in a mighty way that totally changed the history of this world. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 24. Are you with me? Okay, I got this section right over here. It's pretty good. I don't know. I didn't even hear anything from you guys. I don't know. Are you with me this morning? Thank you. Luke chapter 24. Let's read our text. And it says, this is from Luke. He says, but on the first day of the week. Now that's Sunday. That's Sunday. We believe that Jesus was crucified on Friday. He was buried on Friday. That's one day. He was in the tomb on silent Saturday for day two. And then he was in the tomb for parts of that third day, which is Sunday, the first day of the week. I've had people ask me, Pastor, it really doesn't matter why, we, what day we celebrate or worship, which I get that. But the reality is we worship on Sunday. Why? Because Jesus arose on Sunday. That's it. Does that mean you can't worship on Monday? No, but who worships on Monday anyways? Well, I got to go to work. We worship on the first day of the week. Why? Because Jesus defeated death on the first day of the week. That's why we come here. 
So on the first day of the week at early dawn, as a matter of fact, we're going to start a new worship service at dawn every Sunday morning. Maybe not. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, the women who we learn from chapter 23 and in chapter 24, verse 10, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now question, and stop there, let's ask a question. Why are these women, why are they bringing spices to this tomb, these spices which they had prepared? They're bringing the spices to the tomb for one reason and one reason only. Jesus is dead. He's physically dead. Jesus died a physical death. We say, well, Pastor, I I know that. Jesus died a physical death. I know that. Well, hear me out. There are people in the world that you'll come in contact with, and there have been people ever since Jesus died, they do not believe, and they'll try to convince you that Jesus did not die a physical death. They believe either he just died a spiritual death because he really wasn't physical, a physical being anyways. That's a heresy. Jesus was fully God, fully man. And some say, well, he just died a spiritual death. No, that's not true. He died a physical death. There are others who believe and will try to convince you that on the cross of Calvary, Jesus didn't die. He just passed out. Okay. That he just passed out after all of the beatings that he had taken, all the the, the crown of thorns on his head, the, the spear in his side. He just couldn't take all the trauma, so he passed out. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they, they took him off the cross, and they, it just happened that they wrapped him in cloths, and they, they anointed his body with about 100 pounds of spices. And, and proponents of this theory, it's called the swoon theory, S-W-O-O. In uh, they still try to convince you of this. Uh, those who propose this swoon theory, he's he's crucified, he's passed out, he's wrapped in cloths, uh, 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 anointed with spices, and he's put in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And it's cold, and it's dark, and it's damp, and it's in that environment that he just woke up. That's what people believe. Oh, the length the people will go to to try to convince themselves that Jesus did not die. And people will try to convince you of that. But the reality is, folks, is that Jesus died a physical death. He died. His physical heart stopped beating. He breathed no more. His last words were, it is Finished, And scripture says this, and he breathed his last. He died. He physically died. How do we know that he physically died? Well, the Romans who crucified Jesus under duress from the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, uh, the Romans um, were masters at crucifixion. They knew how to inflict maximum pain for certain death. Nobody who went through crucifixion survived. Nobody who went through crucifixion survived. And when the Roman soldier pierced the side of Jesus, two things flowed out of his body, blood and water, which is significant because that means his heart literally exploded. 
He died. He physically died. And so these women, whom we'll read about their names here in just a second, these women came to the tomb to do what you do to dead people. They came to anoint him properly. They came to put more spices on his body so that his dead body, which if a human dies, what happens to their body? It decays. It returns back to dust from that which we are made. Jesus died a physical death. And the women come on that very first day, early in the dawn, and they come with spices. Because they're doing what you do to dead people. And you come to say your goodbyes. It's an impossible situation for these ladies. Their dreams have been dashed. Their hopes washed away. The disciples who stayed with Jesus for three years, where are they? They're in another town. They're hiding because everything, everything's just been wasted. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, the women came. They came with their spices, which they had prepared to anoint the body of Jesus. Pick up in verse number two. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Scholars would say that this stone weighed approximately two tons. That's heavy. But they found the stone rolled away. Verse 3. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Something happened. Something happened. I can imagine as the women are, are looking at the stone. And when they went into the tomb, they knew exactly where the tomb was. They were with Jesus when he died. They were with Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea when they buried Jesus in the tomb. They knew where the tomb was located. They did not go to another tomb. They went to the tomb where Jesus had been laid. They get there. The stones rolled away. And they go inside and the body isn't there. I can imagine these ladies said, what happened to Jesus? What happened to him? Where is his body? Who took him? Who broke into the tomb to steal my Jesus? I mean, other texts will say this, that there are Roman guards who were there who were watching this stone by night. They didn't want anybody to enter in, but somehow, some way, an impossibility happened. Jesus' body isn't there. Verse 4, and while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and they bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? The angels are saying an impossibility has happened. The dead is now alive again. Now, folks, you know this. Dead people do not come back to life. Amen? Are you with me this morning? Or am I just yelling for no reason this morning? I will speak quietly now. Dead people don't come back to life, do they? No, they don't. Dead people don't come back to life. Dead people don't resurrect. 
This is an impossibility. Well, well, Pastor, wait a minute, no, 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 no. No, Pastor, I know Scripture. I know that there's been other people who have died and they've come back to life, right? I know other people have died and come back to life. I know Lazarus, he, he died and he came back to life, right? Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead. He came back to life, right? Elijah, he, he raised a widow's son, right? They all came back to life, right? Say yes. I just want to hear you talk. Say yes. Thank you. That's what I want to hear. Yes, they came back to life. But here's a question. Did they die again? Absolutely, they died again. There's only one person in all of creation, in all of history, that died and rose again to never die again. Amen? That's Jesus. And the angel said, why do you seek the living one among the dead? Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Look at verse number six. In verse number six, they say this. He is not here, but he, what? He has risen. He has risen. And he says, remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And it says this. And they remembered his words. And they returned from the tomb, reported all these things to eleven and all the rest. Now here's a list of the women. There are Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and also the other women with them who were telling these things to the apostles. Now look at verse 11, because we're going to come back to this here in just a few moments. But these words appeared to them, to the disciples, appeared to them as, what's that word? Nonsense. Greek says silly talk. And they would not believe them. Wow. Wow. Verse 12, but Peter got up and he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking, and he sees the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home marveling at what had happened. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that God is the God of the impossible. Now, in the Old Testament, if you were to go back and look all through the Old Testament, we would see that time and time again, God did the impossible. God did the impossible all throughout the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, God did the impossible by creating everything out of nothing. Ex nihilio, out of nothing, God spoke things into existence. Everything that we see, God created. He said it was good. In Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28, it says this, and God created them, male and female, and he said, this is very good, and God did the impossible in Genesis. In Exodus, God did the impossible. He led the Israelites, his people, his chosen people, he purposely led them into a dead-end street. He led them out of Egypt and he put them in front of the Red Sea. The Red Sea in front of them with the Egyptians coming behind them, chasing after them. They were in a dead-end street. They were in an impossible situation. And then God told them in Exodus 14, he says this, I, the Lord, will fight for you if you will remain silent. And God did just that. He did the impossible. He did the impossible by splitting the Red Sea so that the Israelites, two million of them, could walk through on dry land, and thus he destroyed the Egyptians. He did the impossible. In the book of Leviticus, if you were to ask any believer what their favorite book of the Bible was, nobody would say Leviticus, right? 
You wouldn't say Leviticus. It's a difficult book. It's hard for us to understand. But in, but in the book of Leviticus, God does the impossible. He does the impossible by, by uh, sharing with humanity a, a significant day called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement took place once a year when the chief priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and he would atone for the sins of the people. And this high priest, he had to be pure. He had to be clean. And when he entered into the Holy of Holies, which is the mercy seat where God's presence was located, this pure high priest would offer a blood sacrifice. And as he offered that blood sacrifice, it would become an atonement for the people so that the wrath of God would be satisfied. And in the book of Leviticus, the the impossible becomes possible, that God can forgive your sins. In the book of Numbers, God does the impossible by showing mankind who he, he really is, that he and he alone is the faithful and just one even when we are faithless. You read the book of Numbers, you will see that the people of God continually disobeyed and continually rebelled against God. But God, in his everlasting love for his people, he does the impossible. He shows them mercy and grace time and time again. Aren't you glad that he offers mercy and grace? In the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Deuteronomy, God does the impossible by providing his word for his children to obey. God provides his written word so that we would know exactly how to live. As a matter of fact, God told the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he said this, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. And he says, If you obey my word, I will be a blessing to you and to the generations that come after you. And so God did the impossible. He He wrote his word so that we would know exactly what God had to say. He did the impossible. In the book of Joshua, God does the impossible, multiple impossibles in the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 3, God divides the Jordan, the flooded Jordan River so the Israelites can cross over into the promised land. In Joshua chapter 6, God does the impossible by causing the walls of Jericho to fall to the ground. How did that happen? God said to his people, you just walk around the walls of Jericho one time per day for six days. Don't say a word. On day 7, you walk around the walls of Jericho seven times you don't say a word but on that seventh time you shout and the walls fell God did the impossible in Joshua chapter 10 God did the impossible by causing the sun to stand still for a day allowing the Israelites to have the victory in the book of Judges God did the impossible by providing a way out for his people who had rebelled time and time again he provided a man he provided a woman to provide spiritual direction spiritual instruction to lead his people out of a bad situation he did that time and time and time again God proved himself to be faithful when we put ourselves in impossible situations in the book of Ruth God did the impossible by bringing together two families from different countries and there was this marriage that produced David that produced Jesus God did the impossible in first and second Samuel God did the impossible by raising David up uh, from the sheep from raising sheep from being a shepherd out in the fields to make him king over Israel and he did this by proving uh, his might and his strength through David with a rock and a sling he killed the giant in first and second Kings God does the impossible through the man named Elijah who called 
called down the fire from heaven and he destroyed the prophets of Baal. And later on, God does the impossible through Elijah by raising a son, uh, by widow's son. In First and Second Chronicles, God does the impossible by making Israel the greatest nation ever when they kept their eyes focused on him. In Ezra, God does the impossible. He brings his people back from captivity after they had rejected God. God said, I will forgive you and I will bring you back to my land. And in Ezra, God does the impossible as the walls, are, excuse me, the, uh, the, the temple is rebuilt. In Nehemiah, God does the impossible through a man named Nehemiah who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in less than 52 days. In Esther, God does the impossible by saving his people from sure destruction through a queen named Esther who said this, for such a time as this. In Job, God does the impossible by teaching us to suffer well, that we must suffer, that bad things happen to good people. And in Job, we learn that God is the God in the impossible by this, that God can handle your complaint. He can handle your fears. He can handle your tears. He can handle your cries. And he teaches us that you can suffer well. In Psalms, and in Proverbs, God does the impossible. He says, not only can you suffer well, but you can worship well. You can worship me in the valley of the shadow of death. You can worship me when things are good. You can worship me when things are bad. In Song of Solomon, God does the impossible by teaching us that a love between a man and a woman, it can be intoxicating and it can be God-glorifying. In Isaiah, God does the impossible by telling us that his son, the Messiah, is going to come. In book of Jeremiah and Lamentation, God does the impossible by telling Jeremiah, you need to speak a difficult message and people will not hear, but trust me, you cry for your people. You lament over the people. But trust me, I'm in control. Because why? Because I am faithful and I'm faithful to me and to me alone. For my mercies are new every morning. In Ezekiel and in Daniel, God does the impossible by showing us who his son is when he returns on the white horse with the, right, with the white robe that says King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That Jesus is going to return and that this world will pass away and we will enter in to eternity. In Hosea, God does the impossible. He does the impossible by continually forgiving his people who turn against him. He forgives them time and time again. In Joel, Amos, and Obadiah, God does the impossible by telling the world this, that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. In Jonah, God does the impossible by swallowing up Jonah in a big fish and then spitting him out on the shoreline who goes to Nineveh, and Nineveh has a revival. God does the impossible. In the book of Micah, God does the impossible by telling us that his son, the Messiah, the Savior, will be born in a little sleepy town called Bethlehem. In Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, God does the impossible by telling us that his son, the Messiah, is coming and you need to get ready. All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, we see that God is the God of the impossible. 
And the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves what we learn in the Old Testament is true, that God is the God of the impossible. Well, since I had to preach two sermons this morning, I had to keep them short. So I'm almost done. And everybody said, I don't believe you. (laughs) But I am. But I am. The resurrection of Jesus begs us to ask this question. What are we going to decide to do with the God of the impossible? Folks, I stand before you today and I tell you this, all of you know the what, but have you personalized the what? And I stand before you here today in the year 2022 and say you have two choices. And those two choices are found in our text. Look back at Luke 24, verse 11. The first option is this. You can choose not to believe the God of the impossible. You can choose that. You can choose to discredit everything that we have just said about the God of the impossible from the Old Testament. You can choose to disbelieve that Jesus rose from the dead. Look at verse number 11. It says, but these words appeared to them, them the disciples, these words from the women who saw the empty tomb, saw that Jesus wasn't there. The angels told them that he is not here. He is risen just as he has told you. Verse 11, these words appeared to them as nonsense, as silly talk, and they would not believe them. Folks, the disciples who walked with Jesus for three years could not believe it. So is it possible for us as followers of Jesus, are there times that it's possible that we, not, that we may not truly believe? No, of course there is. Of course. But ultimately, we have to come back to the reality that Jesus did raise from the tomb, and we have to choose to believe that. I, I, I can't convince you of that, but I know who can, and his name is the Holy Spirit. I, I can't convince you of this, but I know this. You have a choice to make today. You have a choice today to decide whether or not you're going to believe the resurrection from the dead. Several, several years ago, there was a, there were some brothers, I think their last name was the Knowles. Um, <clears throat> these brothers uh, were photographers, um, but they also started to invest in computers, and they wanted to figure out how computers can change photography, and they decided to create a business, and they created a business that could change photography, and uh, the name of the business was Display, then they changed it to Imaginator, and they finally settled on a term that you all know, Photoshop. And they wanted to alter pictures. I mean, you know, if you look at a picture and you say it's been Photoshopped, you know what? It ain't real. That first Easter, the disciples thought the empty tomb was a Photoshop. And I tell you this morning, if you believe that the empty tomb is a Photoshop, you're putting your eternity at risk. Because what you believe about the empty tomb will determine your eternity. Ah, pastor, I know this. I, 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 I can... I can I I can make this decision tomorrow. Try. 
But the Bible says you're not even guaranteed tomorrow. All you have is today. One of the things that, uh, that I've learned over the past two months, which is I'm still processing everything, don't fully understand my diagnosis. I don't understand everything. I haven't figured it out. I don't know if I ever will or not, but the counsel that I have received and my wife and I and our family received from, from doctors, from cancer doctors, oncologists, it's very, very biblical counsel. And it's this, you gotta stay in the moment. You gotta stay in the moment. Don't, don't, don't let your mind go over here. Don't, don't go there. Don't go there because you're not there. And you don't know what there is going to be like. You don't know. Don't go there. Stay in the moment. This is, I mean, I can tell you, we've been so overwhelmed in some decision processes, and it's so easy to go there, to, to go over there. But, folks, the Bible says, I'm not even promised there. Whether I'm healthy or not, I'm not promised there, and you're not promised there. All you are promised is now. All you're promised is here, this moment. And as Joshua said to his to the nation of Israel as they're about to enter into the promised land, or he's entered the promised land and he's about to pass on, he says this, you got to decide. Who are you going to follow? And he says, but if it's me and my house, we will choose to serve the Lord. And so somebody here, you've got to decide. You can't ride the fence anymore because you're not guaranteed this over here. All you have is this moment. And you got to choose. You've got to choose. And you can choose disbelief. You can choose that. But it will cost you everything that you've ever lived for. And it will lead to eternal separation from a God who loves you, who sent his son for you, and who died for you. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand all the struggles that I've gone through and that I haven't had victory in any of my struggles. Listen, I don't know all of your struggles. I'm very familiar with my struggles. I don't know your struggles. But here's what I know, that God is the God of the impossible. You don't let those struggles tear you away from the Heavenly Father. He's allowed them. He's allowed them. Now you choose to walk in the victory that he's given you. He's already given you the victory. Now walk in them. Well, I don't know what to do. Then find somebody to help you. Be honest with your struggles. Be honest with your addictions. Be honest with the difficulties in your life. Because we all have them. But you got to choose that. Nobody else can do that. You've got to do that. Because Christ has done his part. In verse 12, Luke 24, 12, read this favorite, this scripture which says this, but Peter, but Peter, after hearing the words of the women, he got up, 
and he ran to the tomb. He made a choice to believe. He said, you know what? This does sound too crazy to be true, but I guarantee you I'm going to go find out. And he ran straight to the tomb. He said when he arrived there, he saw, he saw the, linen, the linen clothes, the, the linen, linen wrappings, and they're laying on the tomb. And he said he, he peered in, he stooped down, and he looked in, and he said he saw with his eyes and he saw with his mind. He began to put all the pieces together. They remembered, he, Peter remembered all the impossibilities that God did in the Old Testament. He remembered all the things that Jesus said. When Jesus said that he was going to be crucified, but on the third day he was going to rise again, he begins to put all of these pieces together. He says, I, I, he sees, he hears, and he thinks about it, and he dwells upon it, and he says, you know what, I'm going to believe this. I'm going to believe this. And then I love the last part, it says, and he left the tomb, and he went home, and he was marveling all the way home. Which means as he was saying, Wow, look what God has done. Once again, he did the impossible. So this Easter, I just simply ask you, be a Peter, run to the tomb, and choose to believe in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior. It makes all the difference in eternity. And it's up to you. Do you believe? Do you believe? Father, we come before you today. And Father, if there is somebody here who does not believe but wants to believe and wants to live for you, Father, I pray right now they, they would just repeat this prayer that I'm going to say, if you want to be a follower of Jesus and be like Peter and run to the tomb and believe, then I'm just going to say a simple prayer and I just want you to repeat this in your mind. Say, say Father, I know that you died for me. Thank you for raising from the dead for me. I believe. I believe your death on the cross. I believe the empty tomb has given me life and has atoned my sins. And I want to be right with the Father. Come be Lord and Savior of my life. The Bible says if you prayed that prayer, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the marvelous light, and you're his child. If that's the case, then you just, all you have to do is say, wow, wow. Father, for those of us who have made that decision, may we stand in awe of you and give you glory for the blood that you shared and for the empty tomb. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.